0: If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Mask off, check. Glasses back on, check. Microphone on, check. Water bottle, check. Stand in the right place. Got the thumbs up from Jake. All of these things I've had to do already and I've not even started talking yet. There's one other thing that that I've got here. When I uh, arrived a little bit early to prepare for this, I was given uh, an iPad. I've got an iPad on my stand here, uh, because there are some slides that I'm going to show you, and I'm, in in theory, I'm going to be in control of what you actually see on there behind me. And I think that's brilliant, it's wonderful use of technology, but I'm so disappointed. I thought I was going to be able to do the Dr. Chris Whitty here this morning of, next slide, please, next slide, please. But it'll come, maybe it'll come. Well, good morning, everybody. Today, we're carrying on um, the Sunday morning uh, talks theme, if you like, of Psalms, a playlist for our lives. And in previous weeks, we've looked at Psalm. 22, 30, 8, 13, So it's no, we're not going through them all. We're not going through them in number order. Today we're looking at Psalm 46. <clears throat> um, and we will look at Psalm 46, but for those of you who are eagerly looking at your Bibles already, it won't be for a while. Just just bear with us on this one. Indulge me for a little while as I talk about the book of Psalms a little bit more generally before we look at Psalm 46. As Johnny mentioned in the the big build-up that I got this morning, um, just over a year ago when lockdown uh, first kicked in, there was a group of us uh, from Springmount meeting um, on a weekly basis, and we were eight weeks into what was a scheduled 23-week program, which we called Old to New. First test of iPad. Is it there? Yes. Good, that's a relief. We called it Old to New, and the aim was Um, to start with the book of Genesis and to carry on book by book all the way through the Old Testament until we got to the book of Malachi. That was the theory. But when COVID prevailed, we got as far as the books of Judges and Ruth. Now the intention is, is that these meetings will resume in September or as soon thereafter as regulations permit. And when they do restart, it'll be great to meet up with the, I think it was about 40 or so regular people uh, who were coming along. you would be very welcome to come back. Uh, But obviously, any different people, any newer people, it'll be good for you to come along as well. It's not any sort of exclusive little club. you would be very welcome to come and join us. So listen out for uh, the restart date. The materials that we're using are ones that I was writing myself. And I managed, in preparing the materials, to stay a few weeks ahead of what we were doing uh, on on a weekly basis. So for example, when we looked at Exodus together, I was probably up to the book of Joshua. So I was a a few weeks ahead. I'd love to be able to stand here this morning and tell you that I use lockdown to prepare every single week up to the end of Malaga. I'd love to be able to tell you that, but I would be lying if I did. But I have made progress. I am now up to the book, or partway through, my work on Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel, as I'm sure everybody here knows already, is book number 26 in the Old Testament. The book of Ruth, where we left off, is book number 8. So you can see, I've now managed to put a little bit more distance between preparations and delivery. Those of you who are desperately trying to see a link between what I've said so far and what I'm supposed to be saying about Psalm 46 will no doubt have realized that if I've got as far as the book of Ezekiel, I must, if I've done it properly, have done my work on Psalms, which is book number 19 in the Old Testament. John is my little prompt here, he's giving me the thumbs up to show that the the slides are working. And I have, I've done that. So for those of you already part of the Old to New course, here's another much-awaited glimpse of these bright yellow screens that you grew to love this time last year. And for those of you who are not yet part of Old to New, then it's a chance to see what we get up to. And maybe it's something you think might be worth a look at when we start in September again. So what did we do on these old to new courses? Well, we started off by just some sort of background information about the book. And so we'll do that this morning for the book of Psalms. It's factual information. These meetings were not mini sermons. They were factual background information about each of the books. So for example, we would put the books into context. And so the book of Psalms is the first of the five poetry books in the Old Testament. we had been through the books of law, and we had been through the books of history, and we were making a start on the books of poetry, and you can see the other uh, four there. What you're not getting the benefits this morning on these slides is all the clever little animations that I built in, so all of these answers would not have been revealed to you instantly. I'd have been asking you, so what are the other four books of the the poetry section? You're not the benefit of that this morning. What we would also look at sometimes is whether there were any opinions offered on this particular book by famous Christians. So Martin Luther for example, uh, one of the main leaders of of the Protestant Reformation, his view on Psalms was that no devotional book has ever appeared that is superior to Psalms. They clearly and prophetically detail the death and resurrection of Christ. The Psalms, inspired by the Holy Spirit, are the songs of his people, his church. With hearts laid open, praising and lamenting, they are our words of devotion. That's how highly Martin Luther viewed this book. A little bit further forward in history. For those of you who are Narnia readers and C.S. Lewis, his view of Psalms, what it's the most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. So we would look at background to, uh, to, uh, to the book. We'd have a look at the author. Well, the Psalms has got a bit different from that, isn't it? Because there are several authors. My number six slide has disappeared from my list. What I'm hoping is that the, the slide will show. It's, yeah, okay, so it's not, it's not on my screen, but it's, yeah. So what, so what it shows is that for the book of Psalms, then there isn't just one author. There are several. You can see David obviously played a major part in this, but there are several different authors. And there are uh, probably about a third of them which aren't attributed to any particular author. David is likely to have done many of those, but you can see that the Book of Psalms has several different authors. And we would also look at different interesting facts. Now you're gonna have to bear with me while I turn and look at the slide here because the iPad isn't working. You can see that the Psalms is the, 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 the longest book in the Bible. It's got 150 chapters. Isaiah comes a very poor second place there with a mere 66. You can see, and I haven't counted these up, sad I am, but not quite that sad, you can see that it's got the most number of words than any other book uh, in the Bible. You can see that the longest Psalm is Psalm 119, and the shortest one is 117. It's only got two verses. And a really handy little tip for you, is that when you're trying to find books in the Bible and you know roughly where each one is, Psalm 117 is bang in the middle of your Bible. So if you know it's before that, then it's before that, in the first half, and the second half, and so on. What we would also do is, in terms of looking at what interesting facts might be, there are a number of words in the Psalms, and especially in the little introductions that you get at the start of them, that we don't know what they mean. Even with all the advanced um, scholarship that we have in terms of understanding the Bible today, there are a number of words, I'm not even going to try and pronounce them, you can look at those yourself, but we don't really know what we mean. We can have decent guesses at them, in that they might be some sort of musical terminology, but we don't really know what these words mean. We're going to have a a brief look at one of them, very brief look at one of them, because there's one on 46, the word Alamoth, and we don't know what it means. What else do we look at in terms of interesting information? Well, there's quite a clear structure to the book of Psalms, and it's divided into five books. Again, there's different views on how those five divisions were put in place. And you can see they're not equal sizes. It's not as though all Davids are in book one and two. They're scattered throughout the whole book. But it is actually structured in five ways. One of the interesting things that I found when I did a little bit more research on this is that one theory for the, for the, 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 the division is that the person who put these divisions in place, and some say it's David and some say it isn't, um, but they reckon this theory... is that the five books of the Psalms correspond to the first five books of the Bible, the so-called Pentateuch. So the first book of Psalms is about man and creation, which corresponds to the book of Genesis. And the second one is about Israel, which corresponds to Exodus, and so on and so on. It's a theory, make of it what you will. Okay, what else did we look at, as well as the background to the book? ties in a little bit with what Johnny mentioned before. Each week we looked at, even though this was an Old Testament book, we looked at, where's Jesus in this book? Jesus is in the whole Bible. Jesus is not just in the New Testament. So where in each of these Old Testament books did Jesus occur? It's important, isn't it? Because if, you're, if you think about it, the old, what we call the Old Testament was Jesus' Bible. He knew his stuff. He knew his Bible. Um, If you were here on Easter Sunday when we looked at Psalm 22, Johnny made the point then and used various illustrations from Psalm 22 and compared it with New Testament scripture of how this Old Testament psalm was looking forward to Jesus' time on earth which wasn't going to happen for another 500 years. And so we see that in psalms, we see it in other New Testament books as well. Here's a fact for you. Did you know that Psalms was Jesus' favourite book? How do I know that? Well, let me use this example. If you come to Spring Mount, you will have been left in no doubt over the years, which is Johnny Harrison's favourite football team. You hear it over and over and over again. I was going to say ad infinitum, I probably mean ad nauseam, but it, you have the point, it gets mentioned over and over again. I do have to say that I'm not the only person in this building today who has noticed that maybe the mentions have dried up a little bit more recently. No idea why that might be, but that's the way it goes to be. But you're left in no doubt about Johnny's favourite football team by the number of mentions. See, I very carefully omitted to mention the name of the team. It's a little bit like not mentioning the name in Harry Potter, the one that you're not allowed to mention. So which is Jesus' favorite book? Well, it's the book of Psalms. And we work it out by the number of mentions that Jesus makes of Psalms. And again, if this was on the Altar new course, we'd have had an exciting gradual reveal of fourth place and third place and second place. But I'm just showing you all at the same time here. But you can see that Jesus makes more mentions of the book of Psalms than he does of any other book. And an example of that Haven't you read? These are Jesus' words. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from Psalm 118. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and so on. Part of my research on the book of Psalms Led me to this, this academic research of 351 Old Testament prophecies which are fulfilled in Jesus, and 103 of those are from the Book of Psalms. That's how special this book is. Only in second place this time, Isaiah sneaked a bit of a lead on Psalms here, but you can see that in terms of the Book of Psalms, all these prophecies which look forward to the the coming of Jesus. Be no doubt at all that Jesus is a prominent presence in the Old Testament. So that is a flavor of what we do on new. It's a flavor of the book of Psalms, all 150 of them. And it's a book which the Lord Jesus himself read, digested, was inspired by, and acted upon. And so eventually, to Psalm 46. We're going to read it all the way through in a moment. But in the version you're going to see on screen, it misses out, apparently, the little bit of the instruction at the top of the screen. You might have it on your Bible, but apparently it's not going to appear on the screen. And once it says in the Bible Psalm 46, and before the Psalm starts, it gives the instructions for the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. All that extra information. It's written by the sons of Korah. These were Levites, the Hebrew tribe set aside by God to care for the temple and lead worship. They were responsible for at least 12 of all these psalms. And these introductory words give directions to the chief musician, to the director of music. This psalm is meant to be sung in the temple or synagogue. It's a Hebrew hymn, if you like. If you've got your Bible open on Psalm 46, if you, you can see that verse 7 and verse 11, which is a repeat of verse 7, is like the chorus in between the verses. Just think about that for a moment. This chunk of Scripture that we're able to look at, Psalm 46, yeah, it's an important chunk of Scripture in its own right, but it's also a hebrew song a hebrew hymn that may well have been sung by jesus himself as he attended worship in the synagogue how mind-blowing is that psalm 46 god is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble therefore we will not fear The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The translation I was using in preparing this said, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see. Come behold what the Lord has done. The desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says... Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is our refuge and strength. Many of the other Psalms start with a description of the writer's current troubles their distress, their difficult circumstances. Psalm 46 is straight into God's provision. He is our refuge. The word refuge, it's a bit old-fashioned, isn't it? And I suspect it's not a word which comes up very often in everyday conversation. But it is a word we still use. I thought of, for example, the phrase of a women's refuge, a place of safety, a haven of peace where um, the, the, the women can escape from maybe abusive and violent partners. A refuge. To the Jews, to the Jewish worshippers at the time, the word had a further, particular meaning, because it was it meant to them the cities of refuge, these cities which had been identified um, according to, to God's instructions, which served as a refuge for people on the run from the law to 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 to, to remain safely until they're, they're, they came to trial. God is our refuge. And our strength. God is our strength. He's strong for us and he's strong in us. He's an ever-present help in trouble. How reassuring is that? A statement showing the real nearness of God. He's not just a help, fabulous though that is, but he's an ever-present help. Help that is close at hand and always there. Therefore, we will not fear. The writer is applying here the logic of his faith. He believes that God is a refuge, his strength, a help to his people. And therefore, there's no logical reason to be afraid, even in the biggest crisis. God, the creator of the universe, is with us. And is for us. He's our refuge and our strength. Even though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea and the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The writer here is describing the most frightening scenario he can think of. Mountains quaking and falling into the sea. On Friday... Simon, my 16-year-old son, and I went up Helvellyn. It's the third highest mountain in England. And it's a long range of rock. It's huge. And it's, on a global scale, it's pretty small. But getting up there and staying up there, you just get an idea of just how much rock is there. And this writer imagines that just quaking and crashing and tumbling down into the sea. That's his most frightening scenario. Put your own words in place of his. What is in your room 101? I'm not talking Frank Skinner here. I'm not talking the mildly irritating. I'm talking George Orwell. And in George Orwell's room 101, was the most terrifying thing that he could think of what's yours whatever it is God is greater than that God is our refuge God is our strength God is our ever-present help in trouble therefore we will not fear And then the psalmist changes tack a little bit. It's like almost as though he's on to verse 2 in the psalm now. And remember, this is a hymn that Jesus himself will probably have sung. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. A river making glad the city of God. The city of God is Jerusalem. It's also an image of God's people, both now and in the future. And this image, the writer is picturing an abundant and constant provision of a river for Jerusalem. Now that's significant. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, and I haven't, you'll realize that unlike most cities, it doesn't have its own river. It has a lot of little streams feeding it, but we're not talking about River Thames or River Seine here. The psalmist is looking forward to this future provision. Just as Ezekiel and John in the book of Revelation did. This river will make glad the city of God. Why will it make glad the city of God? Well, because it's life-giving water. When I was reading through this and preparing this, the New Testament story in John chapter 4 came to mind, where John met with the Samaritan woman at the well and talked about... Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them, says Jesus, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And he carries on. And God is within her. God is in the midst of her, is in the midst of Jerusalem and his people. She shall not be moved, she shall not fall. So all the blessing and provision of this city, all its security comes not because what the citizens do by themselves, but because of God's presence there. For those of you who know your Old Testament, perhaps the saddest part of the whole of that collection of books is the destruction of Jerusalem. Once God left his people there to their own devices, despite his centuries of warning them to leave their sinful ways and return to him. And then we're at the chorus, verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That second part of that, the God of Jacob being our fortress, is a, it's, a, it's a repeat, isn't it? Fortress here is like a, a, a reinforced refuge. So we're going back to the first idea of God being our safe place. God Almighty is our safe place. Wow. But don't skip over the previous line. The Lord Almighty, or in the other version I mentioned, the Lord of hosts is with us. There's another word that we're in danger of maybe skipping over a little bit because it's an unfamiliar word. The Lord of hosts. It's nothing to do with host as in showing hospitality. It's important though that is. It's to do with the host being an army. A vast army. And the idea is that God is the commander of that vast army. Both the army of his people and the army of his heaven. This title for God shows his glory his power, his authority, his might. And that God, this Lord of hosts, is with us and offers us a safe place. Wow. And the psalmist continues. Come and see. I prefer an older-fashioned version to that. Come behold. It's not just having a quick glance at. It's come and gaze at what the Lord has done. The desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. If the first part of this psalm was portraying God as our refuge and our help, the emphasis here shifts very, very clearly to a portrayal of his power and his glory. But it's the same God. The God who's available to us, who offers himself to us as our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in times of trouble, is the same glorious God in control of the nations and creation. Wow. And then it's almost as though God himself butts into the psalm. He says, be still and know that I am God. God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. If you've been a Christian for a while, I suspect that is a very familiar line to you. As long as I can remember as a Christian, I've interpreted that verse as a, as a gentle prod from God to his children just to put aside our own busyness, switch off from our everyday reality and spend time with him. Now, that's a very good discipline. But according to my research for this, that's not what this psalm is saying here. Be still doesn't just mean be calm, stop running about, stop being so busy. It's rather got the sense of enough, stop, desist. It's God addressing the nations, telling them, That their arguments and opposition to him should stop. They should be stilled. God will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. And that's the God who opens his arms to us as our refuge. Wow. And then the chorus again for the second and last time. The Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We, as Christian believers, can have the confidence that the same God, exalted, lifted up, praised in the whole earth, is with us, offering us security and help. What more could we need? I'm going back to my technology now, just to finish on. In the Old to New sessions, one of the last things we did as we finished our race through each particular book was to learn to memorize one key scripture from that book. So, with the wonders of technology, let's try and do the same. We're on to the memory verse. Da-na-na-na. It's a nice, easy one. If you are a regular, you'll thinking. He didn't give us any easy ones like that. He always gave us a chunk of text we had to learn. Yeah. Nice easy one, just to break you in gently. And there were three or, three or four different verses I could have chosen from this psalm. But it's the, it's the first one. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Okay, so you now have to memorize that. The fascinating thing for me here is to see different people's techniques when they' are trying to memorize it. Some people stare up to the ceiling as though it's going to imag- magically going to appear up there. Some people are thinking, "Well, it's not school. It's not going to pick on me and ask me." <laughs> <clears throat> Have you remembered it? Just test yourself. And just to show you how friendly this all is, even if you can't remember it, does that bit there help? Last chance to test yourself. Have you got it? Let's pray. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall, God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold what the Lord has done, the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen.